my fellow plebs, River is setting a new standard in Bitcoin. At river.com, you'll pay zero fees when you dollar cost average. Truly the best way to build your Bitcoin wallet. All Bitcoin at River is held in secure cold storage with 100% full reserves. There's no need to wonder what's happening behind the scenes. Your Bitcoin is your Bitcoin to withdraw at any time. Additionally, River lets you make Bitcoin payments via the Lightning Network, offers a Lightning integration for developers, and allows you to mine Bitcoin directly to your River account. River has a level of service that is unheard of in this industry, including phone support, private client advisors, and the ability to designate beneficiaries to inherit your Bitcoin wealth. River has become the premium name in Bitcoin that anyone can easily access. Sure, you have a place to buy Bitcoin, but have you tried River? See and feel the difference at river.com and the River iOS app, the preferred partner of Bitcoin Magazine. My fellow plebs, today's podcast is also brought to you by Moon Mortgage. As the world moves increasingly towards the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage makes it possible to materialize your assets into real estate. Through the collateralization of mortgages with Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will be launching lending solutions to allow investors to easily leverage their assets to purchase investments in owner-occupied property. Moon Mortgage's crypto mortgage will be launching soon for home buyers in Texas, Florida, and Colorado, and will also be open to investors in most states across the U.S. for investment properties. Welcome to the future of mortgages. Visit moonmortgage.com today to register and learn more. Moon Mortgage Residential is registered with the NMLS under number 235334. Today's episode is brought to you by Gordon Law Group. If you've tried to do Bitcoin taxes yourself, you know how complicated it is. You can spend hours and hours going through your transactions and researching tax forms and you're still not sure if it's right or if the IRS will come after you. Or maybe you're so intimidated by Bitcoin taxes that you don't even know where to start. Gordon Law Group can help. Ditch the spreadsheets and feel confident with a bulletproof Bitcoin tax return. They can help with IRS payment plans and they also provide a full range of legal and accounting services for Bitcoin and digital asset startups. Get your taxes done right the first time with the original Bitcoin and digital asset tax pros. Go to gordonlawltd.com forward slash BTC. As a bonus, they'll send you the ultimate Bitcoin tax guide for free. That's gordonlawltd.com forward slash BTC. Yeah, we're back. Y'all, Bitcoin 23, as you can see right here, I will be at Bitcoin 23, so will Ansel Linder. And man, it is going to be quite the fucking event, y'all. It is going to be absolutely banging. It is going to be tens of thousands of Bitcoiners coming together during a bear market to celebrate Bitcoin. You know, I'm looking at the chart. Maybe, you know, later on, we'll talk about if the Bitcoin price will be higher during the Bitcoin conference. We're about 42 days away, so a lot can happen in Bitcoin in 42 days. But the speaker lineup, the agenda, it is coming together spectacularly. And I believe that we, we've recently confirmed that the Ansel Linder is going to be uh, jumping on the news desk to open up the event and to, to shed some knowledge onto, onto the virtual viewers about what is going down, what we can expect, analyze some of these upcoming talks. So really, really excited to have Ansel on the desk. I wish I could be there with him, but you know, they got to split up the dynamic duo when it comes yeah. to, to, to the live event. But y'all. 
ticket prices go up this Friday. So this would be a good time to buy a ticket. You can save 10% when you use BM Live and you're not going to want to miss it. I, I believe Josh, Beefsteak Josh just announced the Miami Beefsteak, which is on the 18th. A lot of stuff is going on in Miami. The event is Miami 18th through the 20th, and it's going to be the entire Bitcoin ecosystem coming together. So get your tickets, b.tc forward slash conference, use promo code BMLive. Come say hi to me and Ansel. I'll be giving away sovereign individuals. But yeah, Ansel, let's go to you. What's your housekeeping? Yeah, I mean, well, I'm excited for this conference because, well, one, it's, I think we'll be out of the bear market. We kind of are out of the bear market. It's the it's Bitcoin spring in Miami 2023. So that's going to be great. And as well as, you know, this is our opportunity as a very diverse community from around the world. We have all sorts of industries, all sorts of sponsors, all sorts of attendees, all sorts of speakers. I mean, the convention center itself, you know, is just a, diver a div diverse group of people. So this is a way to push back, I think, against some of this Operation Choke Point FUD that has been going on. And I can't wait. It, it's going to be a banging time. My other housekeeping is check out BitcoinMarkets.com. That's my website. I live stream on YouTube and Twitter and Telegram myself. So check that out for all for more details. Today, we're going to be talking about, we're going to jump into the charts. We're going to touch on gold. We're going to touch on the dollar. We're going to touch on some other things like treasury yields, all the important charts that we kind of cover on a weekly basis to make sense of what's going on out there. We have a big OPEC announcement. We're going to jump through some stuff about OPEC, ISM, PMIs. That's the produce purchasing managers index stuff where you look at manufacturing, non-manufacturing sectors of the both in the us and china the two largest economies in the world we're going to check that out and finally look at us jobs numbers a couple surveys came out about those and we're going to kind of step through all of that so if that sounds good to you guys make sure you like comment subscribe sorry no rumble right now maybe we'll get it fixed here halfway through the show i don't know but that is we're going out on facebook live i mean there's all sorts of platforms where you yeah. can find us make sure you're subscribed Hey, Bitcoin Magazine podcast as well. So thousands yes. of listens come in through through the Bitcoin Magazine podcast to FedWatch. So y'all, let's just jump into it. And yeah, sorry about Rumble. Chris set it up and I don't know what went, what happened. Rumble, the integrations with the streaming platforms, it's just not at the level of everyone else. So I wish it, I wish it was only on us, but it's kind of on them too. Nolan Bowerly's The Breakup is not on Rumble for those very reasons. But yeah, let, let's get into it. You want me to bring up a chart? Or should we jump into price? Yeah, let's do the first one. Bitcoin, we have to ground our conversation in Bitcoin. And Always. what we're seeing right now is, I mean, further consolidation, just pushing up on this $30,000 resistance. And Give me one second to, to bring this bad boy up. Yep. Well, we've been in this resistance or this uh, kind of zone consolidating now for a couple weeks. And... I mean, it, it, it's possible that we fall out of here, but the way this is looking, it's looking more and more bearish. Each dip is a little bit less bad, and we keep pushing up on that $30,000 mark. So will we break through? I think the important level to watch is 28500 That's what I've identified in some of my analysis. So if we can get above there and close above there, I think it is going. we're going to slide. I mean, if you remember, you know, the volume by price, indicator it's kind of the hills that are on the right hand side of the chart usually yep um, if we get over 28,500 and close up there we're kind of sliding downhill on the volume 
as price is going up. So I, I think that is a very important level to watch. Yeah. So that's my, my daily Bitcoin analysis. CK, what do you got? Yeah. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. I think it was like last June actually where 29 K or maybe it was a little, yeah, it was June. It was like mid June, 29 K was support. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's been a journey since then, you know, kind of on this Bitcoin roller coaster. but this is, this seems to be the moment where we're battling with that same line. What used to be support and, you know, really was the last giveaway before complete free fall in price. And now we're earning our way back and reclaiming those levels. So it's, it's an interesting battle to watch here on the Bitcoin price. I've been intrigued, you know, I've been commenting on the price action, which is something I don't often do on Twitter and on, on the Noster, but it's just interesting to see like, will, when will we defeat this resistance? When will we break out above 2850? When will we break out above the 29 level and above the, the mental, you know, clean number of 30 K too. You know, once we dominate 30 K, I really do think that that is kind of a new bullish paradigm for Bitcoin. Yeah, and it's interesting in the respect of the low liquidity on exchanges. You know, if this gets going, FOMO could set in pretty rapidly or panic, either one, because there's not a lot of liquidity on the exchanges. So yeah, we're coming up, we're continually pushing up tighter and tighter into this consolidation and where it goes from here, we'll have to wait and see. But there are some big things coming out. Like next week we have CPI, which would be a would be a big thing if it undershot the expectations, you know, that would go more towards a Fed pivot. And I think that could affect the markets. We also have the establishment surveys for employment, which, you know, one of the things that Powell has been hammering home recently is just waiting on employment numbers to turn. And that is when they are going to kind of know that their job is done on the tightening cycle. So a couple big items coming up in the next week, and maybe that's when we see Bitcoin's mind made up which way it's going to go. Hey, shout out. We're going to be covering all of that stuff as we yep. do always on FedWatch. Again, one of the very few Bitcoin shows and macro shows that has a complete picture kind of following through with what's happening in macroeconomics, what's happening, central banking, what is happening with Bitcoin as the future of where all this goes. So we take it all into account. So before we jump into the gold price, which is doing some things right now, what do you feel about Project Chokepoint 2.0? And kind of what we're seeing is like the clamping down of Bitcoin off ramps, both in the US and globally. We just saw Paxful have to close down due to internal drama as well as compliance costs. But what are you seeing kind of like with this clamp down of exits and off ramps from fiat into Bitcoin and crypto? I've been talking about it quite a bit on my show. I think it's mainly a crypto phenomenon and not necessarily a Bitcoin phenomenon. I also listened to a recent appearance from Corey Clipson on a different podcast, and he was talking about Operation Choke Point 2.0 as, you know, it's just common sense, okay? There was so much fraud going on in DeFi and in these different altcoins and all over the place mismanagement. He brought up several companies that I'm sure he knows very well that they were being mismanaged. And so this FTX thing blew up, really shone the spotlight onto the space that these aren't just toy companies that are, these are real companies and they need to be looked at by the regulators. And so Corey Clipson broke it down where there's no such thing as operation choke point. It's just like the maturation of the space, getting more attention from regulators and 
applying existing rules and regulations to crypto, not necessarily to Bitcoin. I mean, as Swan, at Swan, they're unaffected. There's a lot of Bitcoin only companies that are unaffected. So that's how I view it. Corey Clipson, he said it better than I could. I hope I did his position justice there. Yeah, I, I, I kind of, I understand your position and I, I also have a slightly different perspective. While I, I agree with this idea, like it's common sense to crack down on like clear and obvious fraud. And honestly, I think the SEC and regulators are incompetent because it, it requires like the biggest explosion in their face possible for them to actually look at something. So they, you know, in, in hindsight, they don't actually protect consumers because the consumers all got hurt already. But with that being said, like, it makes sense. Like there are a lot of things that are, are cringeworthy in crypto and that we, we, like, you know, like them or not, you know, regulators with their current, you know, kind of jurisdiction have right to crack down and question them. But Bitcoiners, maybe not Bitcoin, but Bitcoiners and Bitcoin companies definitely get caught in the crosshairs of this. You know, banks, unsophisticated, you know, these are not sophisticated actors. They're like Bitcoin equals crypto, crypto bad, FTX bad, you know, close all accounts that have any, any sort of like, connection to right not, like not yeah. not even like i'm buying bitcoin or, or making money and selling bitcoin and, and, and depositing that to bank account but it's like getting paid by a bitcoin company in fiat is enough to, to flag and close your account as an individual and as a business it's like that level of like that's not that's not good for end users at all and i think that you know there's a reason why we have to replace this decrepit hit system but you know, here we're living in the present. We're trying to move forward and navigate clown world with Bitcoin. And we're getting more and more hurdles thrown in front of us as individuals. It's, it sucks. Yeah, they're going to, I mean, but if this is the fight you face, it's not that bad against Bitcoin. I mean, individuals getting taken down, like you say, maybe accounts getting flagged or closed for individuals, but overall for the space, this fight you stage is not that bad so far. And I expected much worse. You know, I, I'm a long time holder and I've been expecting, you know, the government to come after us much more than they have in the last 10 years. So it, I guess it depends on whether you see the glass half full or half empty. Bitcoin is going to win. We just have to hold on and wait it out. So that's my thoughts, I guess. All right. So this is the gold chart. Oh, you're muted. And and it, yesterday, Satoshi's 42nd birthday, uh, according to yeah. what he input, and it is actually the 90th anniversary of Executive 61. Order 6102. So pretty, pretty timely here that we're talking about gold. Gold also a currency, a money that some really believe to have been new, have been neutered by paper markets, by regulators, by central banks. So very interesting seeing gold these days. Let's talk about it, Ansel. Yeah, gold is a huge paper market. So most commodities obviously trade on paper markets with futures and stuff like that. Uh, I think oil is about 60% paper traded and only 40% like the deliverable side of the house. But gold is something like 95% paper trading. So that's why people think there's a lot of room for manipulation. And there is, but of, you know, eventually the, there is a piper to be paid here. But 
yeah, this is the price of gold. We are still not at all-time highs, but it has had a very nice rally here over the last few weeks. And I don't know why why I wanted to talk about this other than saying, you know, gold is going up. Bitcoin is having a good little run here this year. Also, the, the dollar, even though the dollar is currently dropping, the dollar is stronger. So th there's all sorts of weird things going on in the market. We just have to keep our eyes out and see what's going on here. Another thing I want to mention too is gold's overall market cap is north of $10 trillion. You know, it's up there at $20 trillion for gold's circulating supply or market cap. And that's where Bitcoin has to get to, to be seen in the same light, you know, as a true monetary competitor. But yeah, gold and Bitcoin, monetary alternatives, and they should do well in a deflationary environment like we are seeing right now. Any comments, any other comments on gold or should we go the dollar? No comments on gold. Yeah, okay. let's go to the dollar. So the dollar, like I mentioned there, actually, if you go to number four, see this one is, you can see it's been down for pretty much, I think it started back in, what month was that? About October or so it peaked and it has rolled over. A lot of people are seeing this recent move down as like the end of the dollar. There's a lot of FUD out there about BRICS currency or the Chinese Yuan or the dollar losing global reserve currency status. I think most of those things are overplayed. And if you zoom out uh, on a longer term time frame, you can see, I mean, right now we're just hitting the highs that we hit back in COVID. So, I mean, just go back a couple of years, the dollar was much lower than it is today. It's, it's stronger today than it's ever been. It's a larger, it continues to increase its proportion of reserves, not decrease them. So, you know, I think a lot of this, drama over a new fiat ex replacement for the dollar is overblown. What have you read or seen recently about this whole controversy on the dollar losing its reserve currency status? And what do you think? My fellow plebs, come celebrate Bitcoin winner in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from Miami 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLive to get 10% off your tickets before prices go up. Plebs, if you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, then you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's a free and a paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts Dylan LeClaire, Dr. Jeff Ross, and Sam Rule break down what's going on in the market so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. As 2023 begins, the broke issue stares head on into the looming realities of a broken economy, a more broke central bank, and considers how Bitcoiners can share their knowledge, their projects, and their mentalities to remain strong economic nodes throughout the winter. As a global Bitcoin news medium with a mission to accelerate hyper-Bitcoinization, Bitcoin Magazine is for all Bitcoiners, the curious, convicted, and the maximalists. Inside Bitcoin Magazine, you will find exclusive interviews and profiles with leading Bitcoiners, actionable insights on the state of the market, breaking news and cultural trends, and powerful photos and artwork from the best artists in the world. Each issue will be shipped safely in a secure box mailer to protect the integrity of each copy. Print magazines, not money. Buy Bitcoin Magazine.
you know, the, the narrative around the dollar is as flippant as the narrative around Bitcoin. It's mm. hyper Bitcoinization or Bitcoin is dead or and with the dollar, <laughs> it's the dollar milkshake theory or the dollar is losing its reserve status. I think that it can be both, frankly. I think the dollar can be psychologically, politically losing its reserve status. Mm. And then simultaneously, the dollar's importance and stranglehold amongst the general fiat system is continuing to increase. And mm. its use as a kind of like, as a contractual instrument will continue to dominate. So, you know, I think the way that that happens is because exactly like you say, the old system is coming, is, is, is depleting, right? It's deflationary. It's breaking down. The ability to create growth and wealth within that system is continuing to decrease. And I'm, I think right now we're in the scope right now, dollar is psychologically and politically losing its reserve status. And that is the opportunity for Bitcoin. They're going to yeah. try to fill that void with shit coins. They're going to try to fill that void with fiat, but Bitcoin is going to be the system with actual growth. Bitcoin is the system that's going to enable more energy production. Bitcoin is the system that is for enemies, that is trustless. And I think Bitcoin will fill that void. That is the opportunity for Bitcoin. Yeah, great points there. When I say that the dollar isn't losing reserve currency status, I'm mainly talking versus other fiats, all the talk about like the yuan getting a higher market share or a new BRICS currency. Nobody talks about the euro getting a higher market share right now, but that is kind of a tangential argument to the money side. Because if you look at the world reserve currency for the last, you know, several hundred years, going back probably 500 years, it's always been either gold or silver backed. It doesn't matter if it's denominated in gilder, if it's denominated in Spanish dollars or in British sterling, those are precious metals, right? Now, this is the first time in recorded history where we haven't had a commodity-backed currency. And so we're not going to go from one non-backed fiat to another non-backed fiat. We're going to go back to a commodity currency. That That's my argument here. And it's very, very easy for the government, well, not very easy, I guess, but it's logical for the government to do a reverse 6102 one day, you know, like, Hey, we're going to go back to backing the currency with Bitcoin or with gold. And that would solve a lot of the problems that we see out there because all these bank runs happen because the assets that they count as assets, these banks, they're just counterparty risk. You know, it's somebody else's debt. And if that's what you're basing your asset side of your balance sheet on, you know, that's, that is extremely fragile. So you have to have some commodity on the asset side of your balance sheet to make that less fragile. And it's just a very common sense thing that I think will happen, but okay. That's, that's my tirade about the dollar. Should we go on? to no, the next it, it makes complete sense. And it's much, much more logical than all the fear mongers, like mm -hmm. screaming inflation every time they can. And again, one of the key points of this show is really hammering home CPI equals a basket of prices. It mm -hmm. does not equal inflation. So it's, it, it, 
it seems so simple and logical yet still it's still the lingo it's still the 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 mental direction of the smartest people you know the central bankers and the dumbest people you know they're all they're all speaking the same language at least when it comes to you know thinking about the dynamics of of inflation it's very simple minded yeah oh and another thing that what you said there a minute ago, that it could be both. It could be breaking down and getting stronger at the same time in different aspects. That's somewhat what the milkshake dollar milkshake theory is that as everything is breaking down, the dollar actually strengthens before it dies. Right. And so that's kind of what we're seeing here as well, but a strong dollar means a slowing economy. Yeah. That's what, that's what it means. Cause there's no other use for the dollars except to hold them as dollars, you know, you want to have a use for dollars out there in a vibrant economy with some velocity and some business and some investment and all that stuff. And if you don't get that, then you start getting a stronger and stronger dollar. So it's it all plays in. All right, let's go to number five here. That is the Treasury. Treasury bonds. These are the long dated ones. The black one is the 10 year. I want to hone in on that one as well as that top kind of teal color. That's the two year. You can see that has dropped dramatically. Both of them have dropped quite a bit over the last few weeks. That big drop that we see from a couple of weeks ago in March was obviously the SVB drop and the Signature Bank drop and the Credit Suisse stuff going on, but it has not recovered at all. It's continuing to sell off at a less quick pace, but it is still going down here. These yields are going down. And what that means I, the way I interpret this is again, there's not a lot of use for those dollars. So it goes into safe and liquid instruments, which is us treasuries. And that bids up the price of treasuries and which means yields come down. So any comment on this chart here, CK? This is one of the most important charts that we share almost every single week. And I think it shows clear as day that the Fed does not direct even the bond yields, you know, the instrument that is most attached to their control. That's how little control that they actually have. So as Ansel points out a lot, if you look backwards, when the Fed was hiking, they were really following the market, the market was leading what they're doing. The rates started going up before the hiking. And then now you can see, you know, rates have kind of flatlined and now are going down. And they're clearly opposed to the Fed's current rate levels. So in no way does it look like the Fed is actually leading this market. Yeah. And I don't know why people don't or what, why people have a hard time believing that. Because if you just go back to you know, Alan Greenspan, who is the maestro, he's supposed to be one of the best central bankers in the history of the United States. He, he explained how the Fed funds works, how monetary policy works. You know, they move the Fed funds rate around. How does that work? Well, he said it was a series of one year forwards. So people would just, you know, price out what it would be for one more year and one more year and one more year. But obviously, when we look at this chart, that's not the case. Because if that were the case, how could anything ever be inverted? And that it was the pinnacle of central bank thought just 20 years ago. They haven't really progressed at all. One of the things that Jeff Schneider talks about is monetary economics kind of died in the 70s. Milton Friedman was the last great monetary economist to talk on this stuff. People could say Rothbard or people could say Hayek as well. But, you know, it died in the 70s and we really haven't made any great leap forward in how understanding how this market actually works but yeah great chart okay and that's all i have for the charts should we jump into 
the other data, what do we got going? OPEC was going to be the first one. So did you hear the story? What, what, are, what are your thoughts on the OPEC cuts? They cut 1.6 million barrels per day. It's supposed to start next month. It comes on the heels of last October. They also cut 2 million barrels per day. So they're really, really cutting production. People are scared this is going to cause inflation. I have a counter view to that. But what is your initial thoughts on the OPEC cuts, CK? You know, I'm really not smart enough to like deeply analyze the OPEC cuts, but I do know that the last time you discussed this on the show, you kind of illustrated that these cuts, if anything, were just like marketing in terms of what was actually being produced against the quota and what was actually being consumed against the quota. It wasn't. The, the quota was already behind or was already it was it was way too far ahead for any you know any actual real market activity to consume that much oil so it it was kind of a nothing burger based on what you explained my assumption here is that there's more to this story this time around as well but again i haven't been diving super deep into it so i'll pass it over to you yeah there's a little bit more to the story it's um a little bit less data from last time. Last time OPEC updated their projections that for demand. And not only did they cut 2 million barrels per day, but they lowered their demand forecast as well. This time I haven't seen really any similar data coming out of OPEC. But here is a the, the latest production numbers from OPEC. Is January is the most recent that we have. And if you go all the way to the left, you can see that's the total OPEC plus production. The quota is 40.1 million barrels per day, but the actual production was 38.31 million barrels per day. So that, that's 1.8 million barrels under the quota. And what did they cut? They cut 1.6 million barrels in this most recent estimate. Now there is some slight differences. Uh, Saudi Arabia said they're gonna cut 500,000 know, individually. And when you look at the next kind of cluster of columns there, to the right, they were producing their quota pretty much. So they don't have room to cut. That will be an actual cut. Russia has room to cut. Some of the others there don't have much room to cut. So these, I think, will actually affect the total supply of oil on the market, but not nearly at the 1.6. Half or a quarter of the announcement, you know, the announced level is what the actual market impact will be. So that's what I was looking at. Let's go to the next slide because I have a few other things here to tie in with this. I wanted to talk about oil futures curves. Now they are naturally in backwardation and that's a downward slope there to the futures curve. And that makes logical sense because if you, know, you could get more money for oil in six months, you would leave it in the ground. Right. So there has to be some incentive for you to bring that oil to market right now. And that's why these curves are usually downward sloping, what we call backwardation. Now, if you, uh, there is a problem to that though. Usually that backwardation is somewhat gentle, you know, maybe two to four dollars over a year's time, something like that. But this, you can see 74 down to 55, or is that a 65? And that's a huge, that's almost a $10 backwardation in just like an 18 month. Uh, so that, that's a huge thing. When, when backwardation gets really steep, that means that the market is expecting a slowdown, that demand should fall in the future. 
So backwardation is good, but very steep backwardation is not good. Also, I wanted to point out the little hook at the front of the oil curve, and that is actually a part of the curve that's in contango. So the second month distant contract is uh, actually more expensive than the first. Now, that's the opposite of what I said before, where it's incentivizing people to take oil out of the ground. When you have contango like this, it actually incentivizes that oil to go into storage and not to come onto market because you can get another couple dollars by just holding it on onto it for a few more weeks. So that is what this little hook in the front signifies. It signifies current demand is really low. And then the steep backwardation signals that future expected demand is very low. So the oil market, the demand is falling off a cliff. Any comments on this or I have one more chart that de demonstrates this? Well, I mean, this is it's fascinating to show that things are not healthy, right? Mm -hmm. Like there wouldn't be the contango at the front. There wouldn't be this steep backwardation. So what does like what does this mean in terms of your analysis for what's to come? It means that there is really no effect from the OPEC cut because the demand is falling off a cliff and recession global recession is coming the now is which places in the world are going to be hit hardest by the recession and what is the outcome and you know the nature and the outcome of that recession is it going to be a banking recession is it going to be you know like a financial thing is it going to hit main street really hard you know what are we looking at and different geographies will tell you different things but overall this is a global this is a global proxy right here or the oil market and it's telling us demand is crap right now it doesn't matter that opec cut but let's go to the next chart this is real quick hook. before we jump to the next chart something that this reminds me of in and i'll actually go like way back to a, a relevant chart but i actually think it's it's relevant is these opec cuts it's almost like the fed chasing real rates with their with their rate increases it's opec chasing the the lack of demand they're mm -hmm. just trying to bring their numbers. They're adjusting their numbers to reflect lack of demand rather than, you know, they're attacking demand by constraining supply. Yeah, great, great point. It is signaling. It is psychologically psychological signaling by OPEC 100%. It also tells you that the China reopening was a dud. Everyone was waiting for China to reopen after zero COVID and storm onto the market and have all this demand and it really isn't manifesting. Now this chart, the black line is the front month contract and the red line is the next nearest contract. And what you should expect if we are in backwardation, a nice healthy slope is for the red line to be below the black line. And that's what we saw pretty much all the last few years leading up to this year when the red line is still there. It's just completely underneath the black line, meaning that that front backwardation has disappeared, which is a very unhealthy thing. Signals, you know, more incentive to put oil into storage rather than to bring it to market. So I thought this was a kind of an interesting way to show that. If you go to the next slide, this is just the oil price. Oh, go back one. Sorry. Yeah, there we go. This is just the oil price. And I highlighted with these arrows, the first cut back in October. Didn't really do much to help the price, to keep the price stable. It did, the price spiked a little bit and then it continued to fall. 
and now I'm showing the most recent cut and will it have a similar effect that we will just see the oil price continuing to fall. Now this kind of pink zone that I highlighted down below, $72 down to $67, that is the range where the US administration promised the world that they would start refilling the strategic petroleum reserve. So if you go to the next slide, this is an official announcement from the White House back dated in October, 2022. And if you go to the next slide, partway down this, you can see the president is announcing that the administration intends to repurchase crude oil for the SPR when prices are at or below about 67 to $72 per barrel, adding to global demand when prices are around that range. This was the implicit promise that was made by the administration. Now, if you go back to the oil chart, number nine. Yep, oh, one more. Yep, there we go. You can see as soon as the price fell below that promised range, where the, the White House promised to start purchasing oil for the SPR, that's when OPEC was like, well, we better cut again because there was no action from the administration, no addition to the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. And OPEC was like, okay, we got to cut our production because of course, Washington didn't follow through with their promise. And there, there was some reporting that this decision was leaked early and you can kind of see that in the chart as well, it bottomed and then it started going back up again, probably as certain players got the information that a cut was coming. But yeah, it's very interesting that this, this cut follows the failure of the administration to start repurchasing oil into the strategic petroleum reserve. So that is, oh, I got a couple more charts. If we go to number 12, this is the strategic petroleum reserve. You can see it's, it's about half full and it's the lowest since 1983. And then the last slide that I have here is, or last chart for oil is very interesting. This is US oil production. And the, the latest numbers we have here are January as well, but I'm expecting February and March to also be positive months. We are right back near the all-time high oil production. And this is, you know, in the face of OPEC cuts, it's also in the face of the SPR drain uh, the U.S. oil production is back near all-time highs. So I think that's important. All right, CK, what are your comments on this? Muted. Absolute fireworks, honestly. Wow. This is, I think, part of the reason here that I think psychologically U.S. dominance is breaking down and is becoming like much less desirable Mm -hmm. is because of our, just the way that we administer foreign policy. And I would say just like, maybe, maybe it's not a multipolar world financially, but I think it's a multipolar world influentially. And I think that technology, which is the most influential thing, while it's still predominantly coming out of the US, it's even more starting to pick up and, and gain steam and, and gain a ground grounding elsewhere. And that is very influential. So when we see the US, you know, kind of manipulate markets their own way, and, and, 
you not follow through on what they announce to the world, I think that that, that like speeds up that breakdown when it comes to the oil stuff, you know, I, I have to kind of fall on your analysis where, what it means and recession coming and it's starting to be priced in and demand is being destroyed. A lot of that makes sense to me. You know, a lot of really great analysts, they say oil is the number one thing to follow if you want to know if there's a recession, if you want to know if there's growth. So it, it's interesting seeing this market do things it hasn't done for and for it, like, you know, textbook wise, you know, behaving really poorly. So, yeah, I mean, that that's really all I have, but it's going to be interesting to see how the political nation state drama kind of continues to play out and what that means. Yeah. Well, if you guys, the viewers, if you thought this was interesting analysis, I did a whole breakdown on bitcoinandmarkets.com for my premium membership over there. So check that out. If you use forward slash pro 50, you get 50% off your first month. So check out bitcoinandmarkets.com. Okay. Now next we have the ISM data PMIs out of the US and China. We also have jobs reports coming up. I think this will be a much faster segment. So let's jump in to this one. If we go to number 14 here. Yeah, so I took a lot of these charts from Jeff Schneider. So I wanted to give him credit up front. So most of these charts are going to be his. Next slide. All right, so this is the ISM Purchasing Manager Index. This is the manufacturing PMI, so obviously also making stuff in the U.S. economy, and it is just tumbling. You can see that going back to the COVID lows, starting to look a little bit like even the great financial crisis. So this is not looking good for the Purchasing Managers Index. Going to the next slide, this is... Oh, wait, sorry. So that last one was new orders. If we, Sorry, CK, if we go back to that one. So the dash line here is new orders. And what Jeff is showing here is new orders are leading here on the downside. So probably further downside to go to this ISM manufacturing PMI. Okay, so the next slide is employment. Very similar picture to previous uh, recessions. And this just looks bad. I mean, if you look at that orange line, it's been very volatile. It makes me think of the Fugoid cycle where it's getting more and more volatile as we go through here. But, you know, this is very ugly printing very deep into contraction territory. Next slide. This is real GDP in these gray bars. So I thought this was a great way to kind of visualize how this affects GDP and where are we going, you know, textbook or yeah, the textbook recession is two quarters of negative GDP growth. So when we get negative on the PMIs like this, we should expect a contraction in GDP. All right. Do, do you have any comments up to this point? I just have a few more charts. I mean, your comment about this looking like a Fugoid cycle really struck me because it's just higher highs, lower lows, higher highs, lower lows, you know, things are getting even more volatile and even more contracted as they go. Uh, it's, it's kind of wild to see that cycle over several kind of boom and busts. Yeah. And the, the time frame is getting a little bit shorter, you know, yeah, so, exactly. It's getting, yeah. that's getting more contracted. It, it really like that analogy fits very well to what we're seeing. 
Yeah, and then eventually, what the what's the end of a fugoid cycle when the stress breaks whatever medium that's the wave is going through? So, I mean, that would be a great anal analogy to the economy. The fugoid cycle will continue until something actually literally breaks in the system. But okay, so next slide is ISM purchasing managers index for non-manufacturing. So that all that stuff was manufacturing. This is non-manufacturing, and you can see it. It isn't in outright contraction yet, but it is extremely low. And going back other than the most recent dip, we have to go back to that middle dip. And I am having contact issues today. So I think yeah, that's 2020. 2020. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So very bad, not as bad as manufacturing, but still the non-manufacturing PMI is looking pretty bad. Let's go to the next slide. This puts that real GDP in the back again which I think is a fantastic visual here. And you can see that there's like not a lot of hope for real GDP to accelerate here in my mind. Everything is going downward. And one of the things I've said for pretty much since, I think I might've started saying it in 2019 with the repo rumble, but I know I've been saying it since COVID that we will return to a post GFC normal of low growth and low inflation. And that's what this is going towards. Recession, I don't think it's going to be a horrible recession for multiple reasons we don't have to get into necessarily right now, but you can see everything is slowing back down for out there in the economy, manufacturing, non-manufacturing, and GDP. Okay, what do we have next? Okay, next is China, but do you have any other comments on that or should we just roll into China? Yeah, I can, I can jump in. Oh, man. Well, you, you come in with the numbers. I kind of come in with like the man on the street anecdotal type stuff. It feels like the the current environment, at least in, in terms of commerce, is like becoming more normalized, right? And companies are getting used to like the post layoff world. They have changed their forecasting to like recalibrate to what to expect in the future, with that being said, it does look like things are going to get worse, right? On paper, it looks like things are going to get worse. So I'm interested to see like if how how flexible businesses and families are to adjust to that. Because really the, the real pain is when you can't adjust your spending and things keep getting worse and then you're bankrupt, you're not solvent. So that's where... You know, that that's kind of my mindset going into, you know, going into thinking about where the future leads for us. I'm very interested to see what 2024 looks like. And I think that this year is going to be fundamental because there's a lot of things that can go extreme in, in both directions when it comes to the economy, when it comes to optimism, when it comes to civility. And next year is going to have a lot of you know, weight put on it. So we'll see what the buildup looks like, right? And of course, the having next year, always perfectly placed, always. <laughs> yeah, I, I was looking back at the great financial crisis and the stock market performance during the timeline of different events that happened during that, mainly 2008 in the big lead up to the great financial crisis. And it was going down the whole time. And it also never got back up above the 50 day and the 200 day moving average like we have now. So there are some signals out there, I think, where maybe not this time is different, but this time won't be as bad. I don't know how to ex exactly explain that, but we aren't seeing the exact same buildup 
into this financial crisis that we did for the great financial crisis. And I know Jeff Schneider, where I took a lot of these charts from, he's out there really saying this looks more and more like a repeat of 2008, 2009, and I'm not quite there yet. So, all right. So that's all of PMIs. Do, oh, sorry. Did you have something else? No, we got 10 minutes left and right. I think we both have hard stops. So we got a lot of content to go. So I'm just going to yeah. let you fire through it and I'll, I'll jump in at the end. Okay. We can go pretty quickly through these Chinese manufacturing numbers. And okay. So this is slide number 21. They came out obviously this month with their numbers as well. We have to take China's numbers with a little bit more grain of salt than the U.S. numbers. We have to take those with a grain of salt as well, but I think China deserves a little bit more. And they're, so this is their non-manufacturing PMI. It is an expansion territory, but after, like you can see this Fugoid cycle here as well, what's coming next? Probably a slowdown. But this print right here, people were interpreting this as positive. If you go to number 22, this one is the China services PMI. Looks exactly the same. It's very, very similar. It's printing positive. Now, if we go back to slide number 20, this is the manufacturing PMI. And one more. Yep, here we go. Manufacturing PMI. And China, you know, they're supposed to be the manufacturing powerhouse of the world, right? Well, they just printed a negative number here and right at the 50, which is the line between contraction and expansion. So definitely the China reopening was a dud. Their manufacturing sector, I think, is the signal here that they are slipping into contraction. Um, and so the other chart I have to kind of demonstrate this is number 23, and it's the freight rates. So if you don't buy all this about the different PMIs, you know, we can get a pretty hardcore number right here. We've shown this chart in the past. It's from Freitos.com, and these are the global container rates right here. I mean, there, there's there's no uptick, okay? The, the economic conditions are not ticking upward. They're actually continuing to fall and deteriorate. So that's my China stuff. We can go right into the jobs data unless you have something to talk about. You know, we talked about, we talked about the, the freight being a big indicator and yeah, I'm glad you brought it in here, but let's keep rolling. Okay. So number 20, slide number 24, this is, I just wanted to put this slide in here to kind of describe these employment surveys, because you might see headlines, oh, ADP, oh, Jolts was out, oh, the household survey. So this kind of breaks it down a little bit for you guys. Jolts is by the BLS, the Bureau of Labor Statistics in the United States, and it talks about job openings and hiring data. That's what we're going to go over here in a second. ADP, this is a private sector firm that does their surveys on the employment environment in the United States. Then the two big ones from the BLS are the non-farm payroll, and that is counting jobs, not people. So if you have two jobs, you count as two numbers in the payrolls data. Then the household survey is also from the BLS, and that counts people, not jobs. So I, I just want to make sure people can maybe get a better understanding of all of these different job surveys that come out. That's kind of a breakdown. Okay, next slide. So we're going to talk about the JOLTS, that's Job Opening and Labor Turnover Survey. Next slide. Once again, from Jeff Schneider, he puts together some great charts. And you can see the black line is the number of hires. 
And the orange line is the number of job openings. And what Jeff is pointing out here is that the orange line has a lot of irrational exuberance in it. It gets ahead of its skis and then it kind of comes back down to reality. And man, oh man, if that is the case, what is going to happen to this orange line right now? It's going to catch back down pretty rapidly to the hires numbers. Next slide. This is just a little bit more vanilla way to look at this. Zero Hedge took the two month change and this is like, you can see that bottom half of this chart is the two month change and it's the worst since COVID. It's the third worst two month period in, in the data series. So it's a pretty big amount of job openings that are you know being lost, I guess, or I don't know how you would describe that. Okay. Next slide is hires. And you can see this is back to mid 2021 levels and dropping. So just think of Jeff Schneider's double line chart where he showed the job openings compared to hires. If hires are falling, job openings are so much higher. Most likely it's going to be a painful ride downward. Okay. Next slide is we're going to talk about the ADP and I don't have much to say about this one. Uh, again, this is the private sector survey. And if you go to the last slide, uh, this is the chart that they put out with their recent data this week. Employment is slowing down. It's still positive for the ADP, but it is slowing down. I, I like this time frame that is included on this chart because you can see 2019 and 2019 flattened out, started downward before COVID hit. So the market already knew the market was signaling what was coming. There was some major disruption coming and that's what we should expect this time as well. So if we project out into the future, you know, we have maybe six months to a year in this time series, the way I would kind of forecast going forward that it would signal some sort of, some sort of major financial event. So. That's it, CK. Any comments on the jobs market data? And then I think we're done here for today. Fascinating stuff, honestly. Really fascinating stuff. You know, I would say if you're watching the show, you, this is where you got to go onto YouTube and actually check out the charts because it, it really shows like strong trends. And it's scary to kind of see openings falling, actually new jobs falling, um, seeing this slowdown and like we're talking about like the slope of the curve changing significantly and if it starts going back down you know if you look if you look at the last chart that we had up here it took a, less than a year and a half for crisis after mm -hmm. that so that's crisis like in the next two years right um mm -hmm. that's that's kind of like what if, if this signal if the the private employment based on adp does the same thing yeah that's kind it's of, gonna be interesting that's kind of a scary thought to live through two more years of fud that the dollar is losing currency stat status and there's all these banking failures and you know the the economy still chugs forward for another two years before something happens. But yeah, also I wanted to point out that I showed those four different employment surveys. So the people that say that the US government is manipulating the data, well, they, they are, there's a lot of different sources of these data. And so uh, they can't be manipulated for long. And that's what also what we're seeing. People are talking about revisions to previous employment data that's gonna be coming out this week. So um, be watching out for that. But yeah, CK, 
thanks for hosting. Um, yeah, man, I, it, I was busy. I was I was going from screen to screen trying to fix Rumble. So we definitely miss producer Chris. You know, he he does an amazing job, and we really appreciate him. And y'all, thank you to everyone who tuned in. Again, sorry to the people on Rumble. We will be back next week, one hundred percent. Chris will be able to make it happen. Thank you to Ansel for putting on the show. Come see Ansel and I at the Bitcoin conference. Use code BM Live to save. And y'all, you're not going to want to miss it. It's going to be live on Bitcoin Magazine, YouTube, and on Rumble. So if you can't make it, we will be live streaming. Catch Ansel to open up the show on the live desk. But that's it from me. See you guys in Miami. Peace. See you guys. What is up, audio listeners? Thank you for enjoying another episode of FedWatch. Down in the show notes, you will find all the appropriate links to our social media, the original version of this podcast, and community links. Also, check out BitcoinAndMarkets.com, where I put out a free weekly newsletter every Friday. And there you can also help support the show by signing up to become a paid member. See you next time. My fellow plebs, come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from Miami 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLive to get 10% off your tickets before prices go up. Plebs, if you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, then you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's a free and a paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts Dylan LeClaire, Dr. Jeff Ross, and Sam Rule break down what's going on in the market so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. As 2023 begins, the broke issue stares head-on into the looming realities of a broken economy, a more broke central bank, and considers how Bitcoiners can share their knowledge, their projects, and their mentalities to remain strong economic nodes throughout the winter. As a global Bitcoin news medium with a mission to accelerate hyper-Bitcoinization, Bitcoin Magazine is for all Bitcoiners, the curious, convicted, and the maximalists. Inside Bitcoin Magazine, you will find exclusive interviews and profiles with leading Bitcoiners, actionable insights on the state of the market, breaking news and cultural trends, and powerful photos and artwork from the best artists in the world. Each issue will be shipped safely in a secure box mailer to protect the integrity of each copy. Print magazines, not money. Buy Bitcoin Magazine.